When your life depends on it, when everything is on the line, you've got to get real about addiction treatment. Only Karen offers 65 years of medical expertise in evidence-based treatment with real proven results. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. So if you're ready for something real, visit caron.org slash real today. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Javi, it's 4 p.m. on a Thursday. Yes. What that means, man, time to roll up your sleeves, talk a little bit about cannabis. That's what we get to do right now. I'm pumped. How are you? Yes, sir. I am doing great, doing great. What about you? How are you doing? Doing great, man. You know, if you're coming over from Spencer's show, say hey. Say what's up. Ask us what's going on in cannabis. If you're like, if you've never heard of cannabis, ask the first question that comes to your mind. If you know about cannabis, uh, you know Javier is the man with the plan. Everybody knows him. He is the journalist in this industry here to answer all your questions. Uh, and I'm along for the ride. But How can you have not heard about cannabis though? There's this uh, famous quote, or not so famous. There's this this D12 song, right? Represent Detroit, uh, called Purple Pills. And at one point, Eminem asks or says. Marijuana is everywhere. Where were where were you brought up? <laughs> you know what? That's fair. But I was brought up in Kentucky. We are sheltered little children in Kentucky. Um, but that being said, I can say that because I'm from Kentucky. But Javier, <laughs> it's been a fun week, man. I feel like we've been loaded to the brim. Uh, if you don't listen, uh, I host a podcast every morning, Cannabis Daily. Check it out. It's just news for like five minutes, what you need to know for the morning. It's been loaded every single day, man. Uh, and you know this, you're publishing like 40 articles a day right now. Yes, sir. Always increasing. Let me ask you, before we jump into the news, actually, you know, I'm playing with the various things I have on my desk. You know, like <laughs> when you get fidgety, I don't have yeah. a fidget spinner. I do, but I don't use it. Here's what I, uh, what I, what I use. Um, I have a little screw, uh, screwdriver, a, um, <laughs> what do you call nail this? File. For the nails? Nail uh, the nail file. Exactly. Then the, the lower part of a microphone, some CBD lipstick, and now you're talking. That's dropper. the first thing I've understood. Uh, is the CBD, <laughs> CBD dropper. What do you play with? Put, put a one in the chat if you want to see Javier put some CBD lipstick on right now. Phil Hall, support me in this, man. Please support uh, me. One, okay. think of the ones. You know you're a one. You lost. There you go. What Dude. do you? For real. Uh, I, play, I play with a pen and then I write things down just so I don't forget the questions that come to mind because I often will have a great question and then two minutes later when the person's done speaking, it's gone. Completely gone. So like I make sure to always have a pen and a notebook. That is essentially what I have. Um, lipstick on a Javier. Yes, Phil. That's that's what we're going to have by the end of the show. Javier is going to be wearing lipstick. That's okay. cool. uh, yes, sir. So Let's Javier, do it. 
tons of news, man. I know this wasn't in the news flow. He hates it when I do this. He hates it when I throw headlines at him. Um, did you hear about this New Hampshire bill? Yes, sir. Do tell. Yeah. So the New Hampshire lawmakers, it's like the first step to passing the bill. So it's like early stages. But the bill supports state-run marijuana shops, which is, A, interesting in its own right. Love but, it. B, would keep punishments for home grows and public consumption. Hate it. <laughs> I don't know what the heck's happening in New Hampshire. They're just doing it their own way. Small steps. I mean, baby steps. I, I am for uh, you know, state-run stuff for sure. I like it that the state is getting See, that's involved. interesting to me. I feel like most people would disagree, especially in the corporate side. Yes, sir. So, they but would. you're fine with that. You're like, I don't care. Disagree. <laughs> like, state run is I good. Mean, I don't grow or sell cannabis. And actually, that was my first new, news item. If you want a job growing weed, guess what? We have a list of the best cannabis cultivation companies to work for in 2022. Cannabis Business Times put out its, its 2022 list. Number one ranked is Viola Brands. Big shout out to a good friend, Al Harrington, for yes, fostering an amazing work environment in the first black-owned cannabis multinational company in the world. So Dude. much for what he's building. I mean, it's incredible. Like he he truly and he supports the communities he's in. Like I mean, he he's building the industry. He's one of the he's one of those those rocks that this industry will be built on when it's all said and done. And if you're looking for an athlete brand uh, to support, I mean, that's an easy one to, to call out there. Um, cool list. Everybody check that out. Benzinga.com slash cannabis. I think there's tons of other lists like that. Uh, another headline you did have. So I'll go to this one. Columbia Care brings their award-winning cannabis brand to New York by rebranding a Brooklyn dispensary. Obviously, CCHWF mm -hmm. uh, on the OTC is a widely known tier one multi-state operator in cannabis. So they grow, sell, distribute their weed in multiple states. Um, cannabis. So if you're in Florida, they've, they've rebranded all their dispensaries to cannabis. They're doing so everywhere else. You see this with other companies too, Javi. True Leave. They're oh, going yeah. to all their states right now and creating True Leavers. And I'm sure they're going to hit all their holistic dispensaries eventually as well. But like they are, I mean, you see this among all the major MSOs and, and top corporate uh, brands right now is that CPG mindset. Indeed. And talking about, you know, the top, the cream of the crop, you know, la creme de la creme, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, the best places to work, you know, the top operators. Guess what? Benzinga announced today the inaugural Benzinga Cannabis Awards. I wish I had this like, you know, I don't know. The first time we've announced it? This is the like, first time we are. Y'all Let's give a little. Let's give a little uh, support for this. We're gonna we're gonna snowball this. So if you know somebody that you want to nominate, you can. So you can apply yourself. You can apply somebody else, a company. Uh, you can be involved in this. But this is meant to drive the financial side. So best innovative brand, most innovative executive. Uh, probably we're gonna cover social equity. We're gonna cover investment portfolios, uh, investment research. We're gonna be talking about all these different super cool sides of the finance side 
of cannabis. Indeed. Here's some of the categories that you can you can apply for. Or you can you can of course nominate someone else. Most impactful cannabis executive of the year, the Brett Roper Award for Lifetime Achievement. We have Cannabis Advocate of the Year, Friend of the Industry, which is like a lawmaker, politician, a lobbyist, best cannabis leader under 40. That is one of my personal favorites. Mo uh, most innovative cannabis uh, brands, celebrity brands. You know, we have everything for for you know environmentally friendly brands, social equity, user capital, M&A deals, bankers, you know, partnerships, CTFs, lenders, analysts, accounting firms, reporter of the year, Latin American companies, Canadian companies, European companies. And, you know, there's like 45 categories. That you can yeah, I, I mean, it, it's going to be a killer show. You can come to the award show in this fall. It'll be late September, early October timeframe in California. Um, but before that, you can come meet Javier and I in Miami, bzcannabis.com to come to our event. Cureleaf, Tilray, Sundial, Tilt, uh, Verano, <laughs> Planet 13. We can go down the list. They're all going to be there. Uh, and, so hopefully, and hopefully, Hélène Servillon, which yes. I hope I am pronouncing correctly because every like whenever I got introduced to her in different situations, it was by someone else who is an American. Uh, but I hope I didn't butcher it. Um, so this is our I, guest today. Guess what? I just, you know, you know, forget the news. Let's get to our guest. <laughs> More news after this, but yes. Let's bring Helene on. How are you, Helene? Welcome. What's up, gentlemen? It's uh, one o'clock here Pacific, so jealous of your uh, Eastern time. Uh, how to properly pronounce my name is Helene Servillon. Uh, very French on record. Uh, very Filipino ethnic ethnically and culturally so interesting well you're we not the only one <laughs> helene got it so helene please tell us about you tell us about your journey to cannabis and uh tell us a little bit about um your your investment journey in cannabis awesome. yeah well i'm excited to uh go to benzinga miami i actually haven't been to the capital conference yet uh given covid situation you're, so you've been missing out for it'll, it'll be 422 so you guys bold fun move um but you know if there's any place to be it's with the other cannabis folks so i've been in the cannabis industry for the past five years and i'm really uh, specialized in early stage cannabis investments um so journey one ventures is my firm we actually launched um late 2021 uh, making some big announcements around the portfolio uh, next month uh, but uh, the main core focus is pre-seed to series A investments, um, really focused on uh, cannabis executives who have formerly been in the industry and they've worked at maybe, you know, Kiva, Flocana, and now they're trying to start their next venture or executives from other industries that are tangential to cannabis that are coming in. So we're focused really on backing the founders. Uh, we're more of a people first idea second, especially when it comes to early stage investing. It's, you know, there's not a ton of historicals to dig through uh, when you're diligent to the company. And um, I'm looking for teams that have had prior, uh, you know, management with like 20 plus person companies and, um, you know, have a lot of experience within that space. But the three categories that we're really focused on, um, for thematic investors is pharma grade cannabis, digital enablement, uh, specifically around brand focused technology. I think when you think about the ecosystem in cannabis, we're really in a dual channel sales world where majority of sales go through retail, um, you know, a sliver of that depending upon the market goes through delivery. 
And so we're not really quite living in an omni-channel sales world yet. And a lot of the technology has been focused on um, most of the supply chain, except for brands. Uh, you know, we have data analytics platforms, but brands have to pay for that. They don't have direct relationships with those consumers. And so, you know, they're the ones who are really putting a lot of marketing dollars to get consumers into stores, yet they don't get the data on what those consumers are buying. Helen, if you don't mind me jumping in here, how long have you been investing in the space? Yeah, so uh, formally joined the industry in January 2018. I started working for a family office that uh, had exposure to Y Combinator's first fleet of cannabis companies, which is Meadow oh. and Confident Cannabis. Very but cool. um, I, I started going to events in 2017. I was working in enterprise tech, uh, living in a Los Angeles at the time. And uh, the events at that time were very interesting. Um, you know, some warehouses across the city, uh, no name brands trying to sell, you know, lighting and, and HVAC and what have mm -hmm. you. And I thought that the interest, the industry was just uh, uh, very chaotic and also very inviting um, and very diverse. But, you know, as soon as I got to the middle to the top stack of the industry, that that diversity definitely went away. Perfect. So I have a question for you. Since you've been in here sure. since 2017 and 18, a lot of people in this chat are probably familiar on the outside perspective uh, of cannabis and its difficulties, right? And a lot of that came right after that 2018 green rush. There were a lot of bad actors. There was, uh, you know, so, some issues with a lot of the top players and some of the, the younger players received super big valuations they shouldn't have. Um, you know, so looking at the difference now, and I guess this is where I'm getting to, you know, looking at 2017 and 18 and startups now, what's the difference? Like, how are, how are you able to look at a pre-seed cannabis company and be confident in the growth, uh, per, the growth potential there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a fewer instances where you'll have a pre-seed seed stage company raise on $30 million valuations. But, but the challenge is that a lot of non-institutional uh, investors in cannabis at time were deploying a lot of capital without really pricing companies out properly. So out the gate, yeah. you know, if you're focused on growth stage and the company is actually awesome, you know, the likelihood of you trying to price a down round if you're leading the deal is super high because you're just like, this is outrageous. Mm -hmm. So sometimes founders would price out their own rounds or inexperienced angels or family offices would say, you know, cannabis is hot. This makes sense, but definitely yes. not at all which is why I decided to really go down um, to the depths of early stage, coupled with my background as an early stage operator. So, you know, so most of the firms like, you know, Merida, um, they've gone downstream and their vintage years were what, like 2015. And so they started off fund size like mine, 10 million. <laughs> and now they're, you know, upwards of 200, 300 million now. But the larger your AUM is, you are forced to write bigger checks and so you're exactly. forced to go growth stage so there's only i would say you know less than a dozen early stage focused firms in the industry that are specialized in cannabis but you know to go back to your question um you know just like any industry with like crypto nft web3 there's just so much hype so there's a lot of new, there are a lot of new investors in the category that you know were more retail than ever before and so now 
uh, I think people who've got burn, they're either not coming back or they just don't know the industry enough to really place the bets. Um, so, you know, back then, you did, did we know that Dutchie was really going to grow that fast overnight in a couple of short years? It, it was hard to tell. You know, one of my second investments was in leaf trade and um, in modeling out, you know, what is the exit potential for that company? Um, so they're a B2B wholesale platform, very competitive with LeafLink. Uh, it's still hard to see where a potential M&A opportunity could come from, you know, if unless they decided to go IPO. Um, but right now, before federal legalization, a lot of the M&A activity is happening, cannabis eating cannabis. It's You're not really seeing anyone outside the industry coming in, especially if they're publicly traded companies. They, oh, yeah. There are just limitations. You're talking about the size of the checks, right? And and, and the different, you know, uh, requirements or, you know, pressures that you face as you go larger, right? What what kind of, uh, like, what are the, the typical size checks that you would be cutting, right, for, for these early stage companies? Yeah, so uh, for pre-seed seed, 100 to 250K, and then um, around Series A, upwards of half a million. And, uh, you know, that strategy is really interesting because we're, we're not looking the weed rounds. So a lot of our, uh, you know, friends at Poseidon, Akari, AFI Capital, um, when they're leading rounds, they're looking at who can we fill in that can be really helpful on the cap table. Who knows mm -hmm. cannabis? Who do the founders like? So we're at this really interesting, um, you know, non-competitive to early stage funds, uh, very additive to growth stage funds um, with, with our current fund model because we're a $10 million target fund. So we just did our initial close and I have uh, still a good chunk of that to raise. Um, and we're doing rolling, you know, capital deployment as we go just to get to the market as quick as possible. A lot of people out there like to say, you know, it's not about gender, it's not about race, but it really is, right? Uh, in many, many, many different ways, right? It's undeniable. Um, you know, and, and I was just thinking about this and, and I'm happy that you brought up Poseidon, right? Uh, you know, Journey One and Poseidon are, are two of very few female-led um, cannabis funds, you know, and, and actually Journey One is 100% female-led. Um, but I was thinking, you know, as you said, there are very few big funds investing in early stage companies. Poseidon now launched the, the Garden Fund, right, to invest in post-seed opportunities. And I'm, I'm wondering, right, does the female component have something to do? What do you think? And this is like a kind of philosophical question almost, mm -hmm. right? Do you think the female component has something to do with this? wanting to support earlier stage companies, right? And, and I'm not thinking about the, the motherly nurturing kind of thing, you know, that's completely old fashioned, right? But, but I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to identify a common component and, and I don't know, maybe that, that one is one. Yeah, so just so I understand the question correctly, um, you know, being a female and also wanting to do early stage is the, what, what is the synergy around yeah. that? Do, do you uh, think well, it's related in any way? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think the, you know, prior to that, I spent my 20s operating early stage startups across emerging industries. And so when I came into cannabis, I decided to do a double career pivot into venture investing in cannabis. Um, and I did come from a back banking background. 
So it, you know, it was hard to get a, a job at Poseidon and other funds. And then, you know, I worked for two family offices and then realized that um, I just had to build out my own vision. I saw the industry in a different way. Um, so that was kind of like the personal reason, but, but that is absolutely right. Right. You know, when it comes to how do we get to these growth stage companies and what, you know, what's the gender dynamics and racial dynamics of those companies, it's, you know, predominantly white males. And um, so if you don't get in early, the ability to influence that is much more challenging. And regardless of the company being run by a white male, you know, can we influence the C-suite? I, for me, I'm not focused necessarily on, you know, we don't have any mandates by, by, diversity and equity uh, inclusion uh, initiatives. But uh, 80% of my deals have been, you know, people of color and, and, and women founders in and outside of the industry. So I think that has to do with just who I am and the networks that I touch. Um, you know, it's a lot of the issues within venture capital and the sourcing from like Ivy League schools. Um, so I do think, you know, when you're working with early stage companies, you have a lot of ability to influence their hiring ability, um, the vendors that they work with. And so that's why I really care about this stage mm-hmm. um, of working with companies as well. I mean, also, you know, yeah. I can get in at $5 million valuations. And if it has like a two to 300 exit, like that's still pretty great damn returns for me. If I get in at 50, it's like trying to model out like a 10 X on that becomes a big question mark. Cause you know, Dutchies topped off at 3.75 billion. And, uh, you know, some companies are raising on 250 right now. So it's like, well, yeah, what does that future look like? So, you know, there's a couple of reasons, but I think on the, um, you know, backing underrepresented founders, it's a big passion of mine, especially from, from where I stand in the world. That was a fantastic answer. I'm so glad I asked that this question that I really didn't know how to phrase. And I thought this may be stupid. I guess it wasn't. It was perfect. I love when Avi toots his own horn. Um, I mean, it's, but, you're alive. You know, you, you know, the margin for error is small, dude. Yeah, fair enough. So, Elliot, uh, it's going to be a, a little bit of Elliot speed round here. I have two questions for you. Let's do it. Um, start with this kind of through line that we're hearing a little bit about the executive side. Um, you know, so I have a through line myself with a lot of different people I've asked this question to um, is executives and where they come from and how it may differentiate your investment thesis for a company, whether they're legacy growers, whether they uh, are bankers, whether they are CPG experts and coming from I don't know, some some like uh, packaging company in, in Whole Foods or something. I don't know. Does it, it affect you and how you perceive a company? And do you see differences in these companies based on where these executives come from with their experience? Yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. I think it depends on what they're building. But I am definitely biased towards uh, founders that have sales and product experience. Um, I think product-focused people are very methodical about you know, um, why they would bring something to market and doing A-B testing, um, especially if they have like a tech-focused product background. Uh, on the sales side, just having like understanding how to sell product, it's the main artery of a company. And so when I see teams that are predominantly just marketing folks, 
and and are lacking anybody on the C-suite and the use of funds has no clear outline of sales. And it's like a million, they're raising two and a half million, a million dollars is going to, you know, proc development and millions going to marketing. And I'm like, well, all right, well, you can make as much product as you want, but if you're not selling it, your, your lifeline's got like six months on it. So I think those are the two primers for me that indicate like a really strong team. Um, and I think that, you know, people can learn how to be salespeople over time, but being an early stage investor, there's so much risk. I'd rather not take that risk. Fair enough. And then last question for me, and then Javi can wrap us up, is um, who you invest in. You know, I think I've heard tech, um, you know, maybe some some core type services, uh, but you also look at, at pharma grade cannabis, right? So maybe on more of the Correct. medicinal side, uh, you're not the first VC. We've actually, you're not the first one with this month we've had on with this interesting type of uh, target. We talked to another VC from Silverleaf Venture Partners who has a very similar mandate in terms of thematic uh, companies they look to invest in. Is there something that we should consider or know uh, in terms of why pharma grade or, or that maybe life science uh, direction is more attractive to you all? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a binary category, right? It's either going to be like crazy multiples or zero. And uh, if you think about how large the pharma industry as a whole, it's a tr you know over a trillion. Half of that is in the U.S. itself. The main applications mm -hmm. for cannabis, if used for medicinal purposes, is you know on a wellness perspective, sleep, pain, anxiety. On a medicinal perspective, oncology and neurology. And when you're looking at venture dollars and traditional venture going into um, oncology, neurology, you know, it, it's, I think, 20 billion plus. Um, and so right now in the U.S., we're really only tracking recreational use of cannabis. And uh, the challenge is, you know, what kind of deals on the recreational side are venture backable? You know, I, I think that the landscape for the license plays across the U.S. is really difficult to even want to touch you know just let's use a, a mature market like california that's going through what washington went through um that's why a lot of folks originally were like ancillary focus on investment thesis because they couldn't get investors to get comfortable around it but now it's like well we actually want to be ancillary because licensed touching entities they're they're not getting high multiples you know more of like real estate or like you know uh, heavy cap X assets. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the pharma side, I think that is going to be explosive. Um, and we're really in the early stages of kind of figuring out how do we, how do we subsidize medical grade cannabis? I think a couple of companies have tried to create, um, cannabis focused doctors, and that's not the model in my opinion. I think we enable our existing infrastructure of doctors to learn how to prescribe cannabis and then build pathways for us to, um, you know, create standardized products for medical use. And so, you know, it, it, there's a lot to kind of bite off on that category. It's a, it's a thesis that I'm working on this year and bringing on, um, you know, specialized PhD to kind of lead the charge on it. Um, but I think the big side of it is the, uh, the return multiples are monstrous comparatively to other categories. Definitely. Yeah. Risk reward. It's a basic financer. Now, uh, you know, we have one minute. I, I have one last question for you. Uh, Let's also, do it. Like a quick, quick question, right? 
Uh, you just mentioned marketing is a big no-no. For me, that that's the same, right? I've seen uh, the, the the companies that spend the most in marketing in the early days. Most of them have gone under. I recently sat down with one company that is still spending a bunch of money, you know, in marketing, and asked them, "Hey, is this real or is this a scam?" Because if it sounds too good to be real, it usually is. They were extremely offended by my question, which to me was a red flag. That, yeah. What are other red flags to you, you know, beyond marketing spend, right? If you had 30 seconds to, to you know, pinpoint. Uh, red, red flags in terms of like use of funds. Investability. Yeah, um, investability. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of the celebrity brand plays are really interesting um, because I think people assume, you know, we slap on Justin Bieber's face on a product and it's just going to sell like hotcakes. But the reality is that there's like every celebrity in the world has a cannabis brand, including Martha Stewart, or at least on the CBD side. Um, so, I, you know, I think that when people, especially, I think it's more so on the product side, um, when people are saying, you know, we have like unique IP strains, like consumers don't really care right now. It's not hard to sell weed, uh, especially in the limited license, like nascent markets. So you know, do, does it matter that you can do microdose, you know, edibles? Like we've, we've already been through that. And so I think what makes a company special is, you know, their network and relationships. How fast can they go to market? Uh, do they have access to multi-chain retail stores like, like day one? Um, or are they having to build it from the ground up? So I, I think that, you know, that's a pretty loaded question to answer broadly. Um, but I think it really nails down into the go-to-market strategy. Like, where do they really think they should spend their first, you know, $100,000? And then uh, some attributes of teams that I really love is when they're putting their own capital into the deal um, yeah. and, and building as capitally efficient as possible. Because when it's your money, you definitely spend it differently. Definitely. Awesome. Perfect. Honestly, I wish we had a whole podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> But Helene, we do need to wrap up, unfortunately. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate uh, you guys. Absolute pleasure picking your brain. And I hope we get to do it again very soon. But please come down, join us in Miami. Leaf Trade will be yeah, let's hang. a bunch of others, hopefully, uh, of your portfolio, I'm sure. But uh, thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Be well. Awesome. Javier, great guest, man. Yes. Very, very, very fun stuff. Dylan Carson is saying, current to the moon. They, I mean, until somebody proves to me they can compete with Kern and they're publicly listed, Kern to the moon. Like, no, no recommendations here. But like, anyways, Javi, that's it for the day. Uh, if you want to hear more cannabis news, check out Cannabis Daily, uh, Benzinga.com/podcasts. Uh, I'll also be on tomorrow morning doing it again every weekday morning. Other than that, Javi, let's do it, dude. Let's have a killer week. Later, y'all. Home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitt's in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. 
This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Jeep Freedom Days are here, where right now, well-qualified returning FCA lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2022 Grand Cherokee WK Laredo E4x4 for $369 a month for 36 months with $3,799 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution, at least through Chrysler Capital. Lessee is responsible for termination fees. Current lease must end by 7-3-23. Extra charge for miles over $30,000. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 7-5-22. Jeep is a registered trademark.